glad that we can uh, start to resume some sort of normalcy or whatever this is, but I'm glad to see you all this morning. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there are stacks in the back. Uh, we're going to be Romans chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. So if you've been following along with us, you know that we are in a series right now called Something Ain't Right. Now, I don't know about you, as I've looked around and I've seen uh, the coronavirus raging, and I've seen uh, the political process, I've seen uh, the, the anger and all the frustration, the name calling, everybody is in agreement that something is not right. Now, there's a large scale of disagreement about what that something ain't right is, right? But everybody's like, something wrong, something wrong. And so we need to go to the, the text of Scripture to figure out how does God diagnose the problem? Because if we don't diagnose the problem accurately, then we actually would not be able to solve it. We won't be able to do anything about it. But we have to diagnose the problem scripturally. That's why it's our practice to go through books of the Bible, to go verse by verse, because we want God to set the stage of what we understand. And one thing that's interesting is that as I observe what's going on, I see uh, what I would call information wars. I feel like social media is a big information war, right? Somebody posts something, and they're like, nah. And then somebody else is like, well, did you see? You know, like, and there's this whole argument about what happened. And, and, and this is because people think if the other side just understands the facts, if they understand what's right, then they'll just do it. Like, if you understand what you need to do, you'll, you'll just do it. But the question is, is that premise true? Is that a true statement to think if somebody just understands what is right, that they will just do it? Now, I see, now y'all like, nah, okay, good. Are we on the same page then? All right. The other thing is, can, can people plead ignorance for evil? Can people plead ignorance for evil? All right, let's go to the text. Let's see what the text has to say. We're in Romans 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 16. It reads, Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Since you judge since the judge do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment on those who do such thing is based on the truth. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek honor, glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. 
for there is no favoritism with God. For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even they, though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace to understand what you are saying. Lord, we just can't make up what you're saying. We can't uh, even understand it without you, Lord. We want to understand not only so that we would be hearers of the law, we want to be doers of the law. So by the Spirit, would you speak clearly to our hearts? Would you cut away that which would keep us from you? And would you help us to submit and to love? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first thing that we need to understand is God hates hypocritical judgment. God hates hypocritical judgment. Look at verse 1. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. So let me tell you what happened contextually. If you go back to the verses that we looked at last week, Paul lists all of these sins. I mean, it's a big old list of sins. And his hearers, the ones that would have been Jewish in religion and ethnicity, they would have been like, mm-hmm, they is so bad. All of them out there, all of they, mm-mm, mm-mm. And Paul's saying, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you hear about sin or evil, your first, your first uh, thing shouldn't be to go, oh, well, they need to get their stuff right. The first thing has to be, I need to examine myself. So, so the, the fact of the matter is, we live in a culture that is quick to judge. Yeah. They are quick to judge. Now, now, now some of you who, who grew up in the church, you might have grown up under some sort of fundamental legalism, right? Where, where there were some rules that somebody made up that they said you had to do that wasn't in the Bible, but if you didn't do them, you wasn't right. And if you didn't do them, you would, you would get looked down upon, right? So, so, so they're, they're making extra scriptural rules for righteousness, but that's not only what is happening. We, we have what we call cancel culture. Where, where there, there's a, a sifting through the past, through tweets, through social media, in order to convict without a trial. We, we have subjected everybody to the court of public opinion. Does the public always get it right? No, but it is so quick. And here, here's, a, here's a deal. It comes from both sides, y'all. From both sides. So we live in a culture that in reality is living out these verses. So quick to judge, so quick to cancel, so quick to heap condemnation. But the reality is we often do not see our own flaws. You ever been around somebody and they just doing something that's really annoying? 
And in your mind, you're like, gosh, does he know that's annoying? Probably not. <laughs> he probably doesn't. Because we are not so quick to see our own flaws, our own missteps, yet the very thing that we accuse others, we do. I don't know if this ever happened to you. Have, has anybody ever felt disrespected? Okay, I done felt disrespected. How many, of, how many of us, when you felt disrespected, went to go disrespect the person who disrespected you? Oh, that's just me. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's be real. Okay. So, so we're like, I can't believe that you would disrespect me. And then you're like, wait, wait a minute. I didn't got about myself. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't messed up a little bit trying to correct something. And I myself am doing the exact same thing. See, we cannot simply uh, uh, focus on other people's sin without closely examining ourselves. See, see when sin is revealed, the first thing that we need to do is not point the finger. The first thing that we needed to do is have a serious analysis of ourselves. And I, here's what's so interesting about our culture. Because of the prevalence of social media, I feel like people feel justified in what they post rather than what they do. Have you, like, if you read somebody's timeline, you're like, you were the most noble person and the most wise, and you help all the sick people. And you're like, but, but in their real life, is it that true? See, see we've put a picture of, of, of a, 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 a made-up version of ourselves to seem right, but we have to have an honest assessment of who we are. Not only does God dislike hypocritical judgment, he himself is a righteous judge. Look at verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Listen, we can often look at other people and, and see maybe some of the wrong acts they're doing and wonder, are they going to have to answer for that? It seems to me they're just getting away with it. They keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Everybody knows what's wrong, but they're building up stacks. Like, what, what, what is going on? See, this gets to the very root of what, what, what theologians call the problem of evil. If God is good, why is there evil? If God is good, why are people getting away with stuff? If God is good and he can see all things, do we look at the same thing? Maybe we think that he's missing something. But this verse says that he delays judgment as a measure of grace. Look back at verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, restraint and patience against what? Against punishing evil immediately. He restrains himself and he is patient, wanting you to understand that he is kind so that you would come to him. See, he, God's restraints, restraint and judgment, he does that with the intention of showing grace. And that grace is supposed to lead you to him. If you, I don't, let me just, have you ever been like, you, you look back in your life and you're like, I don't know how in the world I didn't get in trouble for X, Y, and Z. You're like, how in the, I don't even, I should have got caught. They should have known. Do you know what that is? 
That's God's grace. That's God's grace to you that you wouldn't just take it, that you wouldn't just look at it, but you would say, oh, I need to repent. God has been kind to me. Amen, Liam. That's right. All right. So not only is uh, God the righteous judge, God will judge fairly. Look at verse 6. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking, disobeying the truth while obeying unrighteousness. See, the, the idea is that if we do good, God will give us life. This is the foundation of the law in the Old Testament. You, you might hear this often when the, when the prophet says something in the Old Testament, he says, do this and live. It's intuitive, right? That's the most intuitive things. Like, oh, if you do good things, it will probably be good for you. We all kind of instinctually know that, right? But what's funny is though we all instinctually know that, do we obey that? Do we follow through with what everybody is in general agreement about? Do good and it'll be all right with you. And then when somebody ain't looking, I'm like, but for real though? This is the reality of our hearts. We need to understand the right seeking of glory, honor, and immortality. Many times we seek glory and honor through conquest and domination. See, the thing about sin, you're like, if sin is obviously bad, why do people do it? Right? Seems like everybody, if everybody, like, we probably shouldn't do that kind of stuff. If everybody's in agreement that there's some stuff you shouldn't do, why people do it? Because in reality, they think that they will find some glory, some honor, something of value by disobeying what God wants them to do. That's the great temptation. Not to do something bad because you don't know it's bad, but to do something bad because you think it's worth it. That's fundamentally what's happening. And Paul here is saying, listen, I know that you are seeking glory and honor. You're seeking immortality. You want something. You want some life. You want the good life. And he's saying, listen, I know that's what you want. But when you seek it in the path of sin, that's not how you get it. But in obedience to God, Paul is saying there's, there's honor, glory, and immortality. There's eternal life. He's, he's, he's asking us to, to view the world with, with not such short-sighted glasses, but to look down the, the long hall of eternity and say, well, I, I need to understand that if I obey God now, if I entrust myself to him, he will not let me fall and he will deliver me. He will give me glory, honor, and he will never let me die. We need to have an eternal view of our lives. Our lives are so quick. But, beloved, what we do in this life has ramifications for eternity. See, we can get true eternal glory and immortality through walking with the Lord. Now, now not only is God the fair judge, he wants us to know that family or cultural connection does not count in judgment. Look at verse 9. He says, there will be affliction distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but honor, glory, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Now you're like, what is he talking about? 
Now, if you were of Jewish ethnicity at the time of this writing, and, and you're like, man, our people wrote, wrote the Old Testament. We got the prophets. Jesus was one of us. Like, we, we all right. They would have thought that that, that gave them an, an extra leg up. Right, you know, I, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter so much what I do because Abraham's my great-great-great-grandfather, and he was, he was cool with God because Abraham then was cool with God, and me, me, we probably cool, and if I do something, he probably overlook it because, I, man, we with Abraham. See, we can't rely on grandmama, mama, or auntie to get us in. We, hey, listen, listen, this is, this is the, 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 the radical equality of the judgment, it does not come, it doesn't matter where you come from, what family, what ethnicity, what culture, what part of the world. Everybody stands before God as an individual. And they will be judged as an individual. So, so, so we have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. We don't just get in because we relationally close to somebody. It's not because so-and-so is your pastor or so-and-so is your boy. When God looks at you, he looks at you. There's no grandfather clause. That's why it matters so that, because Christian parents need to understand this. I know not everybody's parents, but, but some of us are. We need to understand that when we are training our children to walk with the Lord, we need to make sure they understand they don't get in because of us. And the law. He's like, look now, if they did wrong and they didn't know, they still get the consequences of doing wrong. Knowing the law of God does not make us right. It does not justify. This is important for us to hear. Because in America, a lot of times we judge spiritual maturity by how many verses somebody can kind of spit off the bat. How many, how much theology they know, how many books they read. But, beloved, knowing what is right is not sufficient. Now, every now and then I need to remind y'all I'm a nerd. Y'all know that, right? Okay, I'm a nerd. And so I, study, I like to study different uh, church traditions, and there's something I came upon that was really interesting to me. When you hear the word theologian or theology, it's like the science of, uh, of or study of God, and a theologian is someone who's really good at studying who God is. You know, when I think about that, I'm like, man, that dude, he must be smart. But in the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church tradition, they reserve the title theologian for someone who knows God deeply. That struck me. Not simply someone who can rattle off the facts, but someone who has an intimate relationship with God. Now, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't know that they can't look inside that person's heart, but they can look at their life and say, well, something, you and God must got something going on together. Beloved, I want to be a theologian in that sense. I want to know him. I want you to know him. Ultimately, the discipleship is measured in obedience. Get this. Discipleship is measured in obedience. Remember the Great Commission. He says, I want you to teach them to obey. So, beloved, we don't need to just have uh, big heads and, and, and hearts that are fragile. We need to have hearts that are full of God's love that actually put into practice the things that we learn. The conscience itself testifies about God's standard. Look at verse 14. So when Gentiles, these people who are not Jewish, they don't know nothing about Old Testament law. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, 
they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. Here's the deal. When, when people who don't follow Jesus reflect a Christ-like character, they are pointing to the universality of the law. I want you to understand this. Morality is not relative. Now, that is, that is the popular saying that is going on, even if it's not explicit. Let me, let me put it in, in layman's term. You do what you want to do, and I do what I want to do. And as long as you do what you want to do, and I do what I want to do, we both going to be okay. Now, suppose that person wants to slap you. I'm like, well, not, well, not that, though. Because I, I don't want to do it, but I want to do it, though. What? There has to be some, some law, some, some morality above what everybody decides what is right, because there has to be an arbiter. There has to be someone who decides what is right and what is wrong. We actually need a standard above ourselves to live in peace. If everybody does what they want, what they really want. I don't want to be there. Okay? <laughs> Not me. So, beloved, we, 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 the scripture is clear. We don't believe that there's one law that's good for somebody and another law that doesn't apply to somebody else. Because, again, God is a God of equality, yeah? And a faithful application of what he has said. So this all sounds like really bad news, right? You're like, dog, oh, gone. People know what they're supposed to do. They don't do it, and they know that they should do right, but they just don't do it. Well, dog, <laughs> what do we do now? That's, uh, that's the state of the world, right? Now, now, listen. Now, back to the previous question. When we say something ain't right, well, what is the thing that isn't right? That. <laughs> that. <laughs> that people know what they ought to do, and though they know what they ought to do, they choose not to do it. And you're like, well, why doesn't God do anything about it? God is restraining his, and, and, and withholding his judgment because he has grace. And if he does that for them, that means he does it for you. That God has grace for you. That last verse we looked at, we can see that God will judge us through Christ. Look at verse 16. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. The first thing we need to understand is this. No unjust thing goes unpunished. No unjust thing goes unpunished. Beloved, if, if you have been a victim, if you have been hurt or abused, you need to understand that God both saw and he will make right. I can imagine that, that in, the, the, in the, the status of being a victim, you're like, where is he? Where is he? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Beloved, I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but I know he's going to make it right. Because he sees every single thing and he will address every single thing because he is consistent. In this verse, we have the hope that Christ will come again to set the world right. Beloved, no matter what happens on Tuesday, one day we will have the ultimate just ruler. 
If in your mind the biggest injustice is committed on Tuesday, we can have the shared hope that there will be a righteous king who comes back and he will judge everybody with equality. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to point you to something. Now, listen, I, if you were paying attention, if you were paying attention, if you're honest with yourself, and you see this, this picture painted in Romans 2 about people who know what they ought to do, but they don't do it. If you are all honest, you're like, that's kind of me, though, right? I mean, like, that's, I mean, I, hello. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm at, so what, what about that? What do we do? If the verse is talking about us and the verse is saying it's not going to go well for you, it's like, well, doggone. Where is my hope? Or rather, how does God judge us through Christ? Here's the thing. Christ was the only person who received wrong and never committed any. When Christ was on the cross, there was no charge that they could pull up that would have been true. He always obeyed the law. He always loved God. He always loved his neighbor. And we're so used, we're so used to the, the sound or the, the, the idea that Christ died on the cross that we don't understand the absurdity of it, the injustice of it, the fact that the innocent one was condemned. Beloved, that innocent one was judged in our place. When our, when our ticket is called and we have to, to stand before God and answer for what we've done, we can answer or Christ can answer for us. That is our hope. If I have trusted in Christ, if I have put my hope in Christ, the judgment that is owed to me has been put on him at the cross. And listen, in reality, that is my only hope. That's it. I, like, if, 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 if I'm judged by what I did or by what I knew that I should have done, but I didn't, if, if that is the judgment, it is not going to go well for me. But God has provided for me in Christ that he saw me in my sin. He loved me. He sent Christ to be condemned and judged in my place. That means that I can look forward to the judgment day, not in fear, but in hope, understanding that he will set everything right. We can find safety on judgment day through trusting in Christ right now. So, so what, is this, what do we do with this? What is this text? How can we apply this? See, the first thing I want to show you is that we have to show humility. Now, let me be clear. That does not mean that we're, we are dishonest about sin and evil. It just means that the judgment cuts to us as well. Right. So so I can't I can't come up like like, you know, pointing fingers and and I, I got to be like, you can humbly submit something to somebody. Hey, I, I see that you you're not you're not doing what God wants you to do. And I'm not trying to come up on you like that because I am in that boat, too. But because God wants you to have the route, the route that is good for you, I need to point this out to you. That comes off very different than get your stuff right. Yeah, that's different. It means that we willingly submit to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the input of others. Here's the deal. Sometimes we feel like we should say something to somebody, but we are so afraid to because we're like, well, what if they 
don't like me? Or what if they get mad at me? You need to understand, sometimes it is God, the Holy Spirit. And if we all agree that we have blind spots, we should be able to receive it with humility, okay? It, I need to say this. It's not, it's not a sign of maturity to be harsh, okay? It is not a sign of maturity to be harsh. Now, there's this one gift, G-I-F, not G-I-F-T, that I like. And it's, uh, it's like Kermit the Frog, and he's in front of that typewriter. You know what I'm talking about? He's just doing all that. Like, that's how I imagine people on social media sometimes, they, but I guess it's more like that. But they just, they go hard. They go hard. And listen, like, you get more points the more harsh you are, right? Ooh, she told him, listen, that is not a sign of maturity. That is not a sign of maturity. Not only can we show humility, but we can have hope that Jesus will come to set things right. Beloved, we understand that when Jesus was judged, he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, and his resurrection is the assurance of his victory over all evil. And finally, we have to seek refuge in Christ for our conscience. I, listen, I know that some of you cognitively know that Jesus died for your sins, and I also know that some of you are racked with guilt and shame. I know that there are moments when you doubt his love. I know there are moments when you feel like you have to make something up because you didn't do something right. There are moments when you don't want to come to church or you don't want to crack the page open of the Bible because you are seeing your own sin. What do you do when your conscience accuses you? You tell yourself about what Christ has done for you on the cross. There is no room for guilt and shame there. And you have to straighten your own conscience up sometime and say, listen, here's what I love. Martin Luther, the German one, you know, it's Reformation Day was yesterday. He used to write about how he felt like, this, like Satan would accuse him, right? Satan would come and be like, you're blah, 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 you this, 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 and this. And you know how he would respond? He would say, actually, you forgot some stuff. I'm also this, 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 and this. But you know what? Jesus, my Savior, has been judged in my place. Beloved, that's the confidence we need to have in him. That's the confidence that he gives us. So, beloved, if you're listening and you have not yet felt that sense of assurance and peace and grace, you can come to Jesus right now, confessing your sins, believing that he died in your place and that he rose again, and he will give you peace and assurance now and glory and honor later. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you see the world with clarity. You see the evil more clearly than we do. And Lord, you are withholding judgment because of your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we nor anybody else would take advantage of your kindness but, Lord, that we would respond with repentance and with trust. Lord God, would you give us a deep assurance that there will come a day when everything will be set right, 
Will you give us a deep and abiding assurance that you will conquer all evil? And will you give us a deep and abiding assurance that we do not have to trust in ourselves or in our own works or what we have done or what we have not done in order to be accepted by you? That you accomplished it all in Christ. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.